But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. <clears throat> when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Multimedia show and tell today. That's a denarius. Thought I might show that. Some of you may have read my note in the newsletter this week. When I was growing up, my grandparents had a garden in rural Gloucestershire, and I would go out there um, sometimes during the summer, dig around in the dirt, do weeding. And my grandfather, um, at least once, maybe a few times, found old Roman coins buried in the garden. And he would try to clean them up a little bit, and you could just make out the profile of an emperor, just like this. That's how far these coins spread, and they'd still be found in Northern Europe. It's you turn around a little bit. Incidentally, I, I looked it up. Um, a denarius today is worth about six cents. <laughs> and for collectors, like a clean one like this, maybe a coin like this would be worth about 90 bucks. Just for dollars. But what does this remind you of? George Washington, right? And that's because when we made our coins, we learned from the best. And uh, so did the British. You've seen the British coins. They often have the profile of the monarch on them. They learned from the best. They learned that from the Romans. Our readings today take us into a primary teaching that was very ancient. And it has to do, in part, with conflicted loyalties, and it has to do, in part, with what it means to be living under an occupation. And it has, in part, a basic question about what is it that we truly value. We open with that reading from Isaiah, which is kind of strange and mysterious. To give you a little bit more background on it, it is actually a text that is based on a Babylonian enthronement ceremony. In other words, a text that was used for the enthronement of the emperor of the ancient Babylonian empire. And Isaiah takes that text and he turns it into a theological discourse. And it's a theological discourse, of course, involving God, the God of the ancient Israelites. But it is also a discourse 
at least is purported to be a discourse with Cyrus, a Persian king who was the rising power in the Near East at the time, and Cyrus was about to overthrow the Babylonian Empire. Now, the Babylonians, you might remember, had taken all the people of Jerusalem and Judea into exile about 70 years prior. So they had been living in Babylon for multiple generations. And Isaiah is probably recounting the return of the people to the promised land at the end of that exile. And that happened under the reign of Cyrus. So Isaiah refers to Cyrus here as the anointed one, which in Hebrew is Messiah. Interesting, isn't it? And then he goes on to say, you don't know me, Cyrus, but I am the Lord, as we translate it into English. Very quick Bibleist. If you look at the text and you notice that each time you see the Lord in all caps, you see that there? That is a reference to what is known amongst Hebrew scholars as the Tetragrammaton, that is the name of God. It's four letters in Hebrew. And from very early times in the Jewish synagogue, it was considered not only bad form, but potentially spiritually dangerous to utter God's name out loud. So what the early Jewish community began to do in the synagogue is they used to substitute the word Adonai for that, which translates into English as Lord. So that's why we say the Lord. So you can see every time you see that all caps Lord, this is God's name being uttered over and over and over. And it's to really drive the point home. In other words, Cyrus, you may think you're in charge, but God is in charge. And it's hard to overstate what a critical moment this is in the deep tradition. It is a critical moment because you could say that when the ancient people of God were taken into exile, they left with a tribal God, that is the God of their ancestors, the God of Judea and Israel, maybe Samaria, that when they come back from Babylon, their God is now God of the universe, the God of everything. We fast forward about six centuries and the context in which Jesus is in a dispute with the religious authorities. And this is actually a, a kind of funny tale and a familiar one to us because he is approached by partisans. Just to give you a little bit of background, the Pharisees hate the Herodians, hate them with a passion. The Herodians were allies of the puppet king of Judea of the time who had been put in place and was propped up by the Romans. And they hated Herod because Herod was kind of a pretender. And he was playing all ends against the middle. And basically, he was in business to stay in power. But the Herodians and the Pharisees have a common enemy in Jesus. 
this itinerant rabbi from the north who has come down and is saying things that the authorities don't like, like maybe they're not really in charge. And maybe people have more direct access to God than they claim. So they come to entrap Jesus. And Jesus, of course, sees the trap coming from a mile away. When he's asked, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? You can probably guess what the dilemma is. If Jesus says yes, the Pharisees can accuse him of being unfaithful to the ancient covenant of their ancestors. Because if you say we owe the emperor anything at all, you are acknowledging someone who has propped himself up as God, as a divinity, and more than that, as an invading divinity in the land of the people of God. If you say no, you can be tarred as a zealot, that is, a violent insurgent who is likely to bring the wrath of the Roman Empire down upon everybody's heads. That can get you arrested, or worse. But Jesus does something truly clever and truly remarkable. He turns the question right back around on them. And he leaves it in their hands. Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and give to God the things that are God's. We have to decide. So do the Pharisees and the Herodians. What really does belong to the emperor, after all? Currency like this has value that's attributed, right? This is worth six cents today, right? To a collector, it might be worth a little bit more. But I can't buy a coffee of Pete's with it. <clears throat> Jesus said this would have been worth, if I read things correctly, roughly a day's wage. This would be a full day's work in Jesus' context. Buried in an English garden, no value whatsoever, except something for a young kid like me, who had a little bit of interest in history to ponder on. But it's funny, this is Tiberius, by the way, who was the emperor while Jesus was teaching and preaching. <clears throat> Tiberius probably never heard Jesus' name. And yet, when it came to things that were of value, my grandparents would travel across the farmer's field and go to church on Sunday, just like you all are here today, to hear about an itinerant teacher from Galilee, whose name lives on. And more than that, we say, who discloses to us the true God of all. So the question is left to us this day and this week, and I invite you to ponder it in your own hearts. What do we value? What is of true value to us as people, as people of faith? 
as people of God. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon. Oh, uh-huh.